Well, good morning, everyone. Just want to say we're almost uh, finished transitioning here. My wife is still back in Chicago. Go Cubs. Um, and who, who won last night? Did the Cubs win last night? Did the Cubs win last night? I'd just like to hear that over and over again. Okay. Um, the... We're just, if we cover your prayers as we move, um, next Sunday after the service in the afternoon, I'm going to fly up to Chicago and then Mary and I are driving down. So that'll be our final move. We hopefully close on the house on the 26th and the moving truck gets here the 27th. So um, Mary's excited about getting down here and uh, we just do covet your prayers. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of being over in Israel, and some of you may have been to Israel, and you might understand what I'm saying. When you're in Israel, especially when you're in Jerusalem, you're always afraid of offending someone. Um, if it's not a, one of the Christian groups, it's maybe the Orthodox uh, Jewish group or um, one of the Muslim groups, and you always are on your toes, um, and one night I was there and I went out to, um, we were staying in the old city of Jerusalem and there's a hotel called the King David Hotel and it's one of the most prestigious hotels in Israel or at least near Jerusalem. It's just outside the Jaffa Gate. It is what we would consider a four or five star hotel. It is where when Condoleezza Rice went over there a couple years ago, she stayed at the King David Hotel. So it's um, the hotel I don't stay at but the hotel I go have dessert at. And so I went over there to have ice cream. And so went into the lobby and there's a restaurant right beside the lobby. And I sat down to have some ice cream and I said to the waitress when she came over, I said, um, where are the bathrooms? And she said, oh, well, you can just go use the Sabbath elevator and go down one floor and the bathrooms are there. And I said, the Sabbath elevator? She goes, yes, it's the Sabbath. I forgot, it was a Saturday. And so I said, oh, okay. And she's like, the Sabbath elevator's the one on the right. Okay, so I go over to the Sabbath elevator and press the button. And, you know, when you go and you press the button, usually it does what? It lights up. Well, it doesn't. And so there's a couple other people there, and we just sort of waited and waited and waited. Finally, the elevator came and opened up. We got on, and when you get into an elevator, the first thing, you know, you press the button for what floor you want. Press it, the light doesn't come on. I'm like... Hmm, doors close, goes down. Okay, doors open, get off, go to the bathroom. And then, was sort of understanding this, you know, waited for the elevator again, and it got up, you know, took us up to the next floor. And I asked someone, what is a Sabbath elevator? And it is an elevator that goes to every single floor, but the lights don't come on and off because that is a, that would be considered work on the Sabbath. And so, they have a Sabbath elevator that just goes to every floor and none of the lights ever come on. Okay, seemed a little interesting, but so we sat down and the lady comes over and I order ice cream and she goes, oh, by the way, um, she said, the religious guards are here. Well, that was her term and it's just a, it was a group of people, there's no official religious guards, but there's a group of people there who observe to make sure that Sabbath laws are being followed. So she said to me, when I ordered the ice cream, she goes, if anyone asks you, you're staying here at the hotel. And I go, okay. So we order ice cream and um, everything's good until I go for the bill. And I said, you know, need to pay. And she goes, 
your bill will be at the end of the bar. Just go sit down. There's a plant there, and your bill will be underneath the plant. Just leave the money under the plant, and then come back in 10 minutes, and your change will be there. It's like, what in the world? So go over there. There's a plant. Lift up the plant you know, discreetly. You know, now I'm scared. And then you put your money down, and then you walk away, and then you come back 10 minutes later, and there's your change. And so I asked the lady, and she said, well, it's illegal for us to bill you on the Sabbath. So in case anyone asked, I just say, I memorized what you ordered, and the next day I bill your room. And I was like, wow. And there are certain people who believe that it is essential to obey rules and regulations in order to get into the kingdom of God. Now, these rules and regulations, especially for Sabbath laws, they are um, not, you're not going to find this rule in the Old Testament, but these were part of what were called oral laws or oral traditions, and they held the same amount of weight, or at least nowadays they hold the same amount of weight as what is called the written law, or what we would say is in the Old Testament. There's some other things when you're over in Israel that, um, like, you can't order a cheeseburger because you're never allowed to order dairy and meat together. So you go to McDonald's, you can't get a cheeseburger. You also can't order a hamburger and a milkshake because that would be the same. So what you do, though, is you go up to the counter, order your hamburger, step back, and then come back up again and order your milkshake, and that's okay because it's two separate transactions. So it, some of the stuff just drives you crazy. Now, some of you probably aren't aware that you have a stove that has a Sabbath mode on it. You can also get a refrigerator with a Sabbath mode. And probably a number of you are going to sit there going, what in the world is he talking about? Just pull out your phone and Google it. You can get Sabbath mode. What it does is you program the date into your fridge so when you open your fridge on a Sabbath, the light won't come on and you won't be violating Sabbath laws. And yeah, I mean, we, we were talking about this the other night. Your stove has a Sabbath mode, so the light won't come on. Well, there's just some interesting things about keeping all these rules and regulations. And just an aside, um, we're looking into planning a trip to Israel next June, June 18th to July 2nd. If you would be interested in learning about going on this trip, um, if you can take the Connect cards and just note that you'd be interested in more information about this, and we'll try and plan an informational meeting um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, just uh, mark on it that you're interested, and I'll be able to get you more information about that as soon as possible. Jesus dealt with numerous people who felt that their obedience to the law, following rules and regulations, got them into the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to be looking at... Uh, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be doing a sermon series over on the next couple of weeks, and we're going to be looking at the first part of it, which is called the Beatitudes. And Jesus is going to talk about and present a radically different understanding of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, what it means to be part of his kingdom, and how you get into this kingdom, and what keeps you from getting into this kingdom. This is the first sermon that Jesus gives, and it is foundational to understanding everything that Jesus is going to teach and do. 
He gives this sermon near the beginning of his ministry. He's done some miracles and people are following him. And so they're going to listen to him. But think about this. What he said 2,000 years ago is as radical today as it was back then. Think about this. Who do we lift up to our kids as successful and blessed in our world? Who do we lift up to our kids as the heroes in our world? When someone says they're blessed, what comes to mind? Think of this little slide there for a second. John Stott wrote this about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus contradicted all human judgments and all nationalistic expectations of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is given to the poor, not the rich. The feeble, not the mighty. To little children humble enough to accept it, not to soldiers who boast that they can obtain it by their own prowess. The kingdom of God can only be received by empty hands. And Jesus warns against worldly self-sufficiency where you trust yourself and your own resources that lead you to not trust in God. But he also warned against religious self-sufficiency where you trust in your own religiosity and your moral life so that you don't need God as well. And as we look at our text for this morning, I want us to remember that the whole Sermon on the Mount can be summed up in this commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said it to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. We are to love one another. Why? Because God loved us first. We are not to love in order to be loved by God. God's already loved us. You are the beloved of God. God loves you first and foremost, not after you love him. He loves us while we are separated by sin. And when we're far from him, he loves us. So when we're looking at the scriptures, we always got to ask ourselves this question. Do we submit ourselves to scripture or do we submit scripture to ourselves? Do we let scripture control the way we think and the way we live? And so Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, this sermon, with a statement about what true blessedness is. To be blessed. To be blessed means to have God's favor. God wants to bless you today. And what Jesus said in in these verses that we're going to look at is in sharp contrast to the worldly thinking of his day and the worldly thinking of our day. Blessedness, when you think, when you think, people will say, oh, I'm so blessed because I got a new house, or I went on a vacation, or I got a car. I'm sorry, that's not in the scriptures. But oftentimes that's how we think. And blessedness, being blessed by God does not consist in what, are, what we possess in land and houses and social status and the grades we get in school or the schools we attend It is about receiving God's blessing. And it's not something that's outside of us. It's something within. 
And so Jesus presents for us in Matthew chapter 5 the most profound teaching on true blessedness and happiness. And it's not just one subject among many. What Jesus is going to teach her in this first sermon he gives is foundational to everything that he is going to say and do. It's how we get into the kingdom of God. It's how we are saved. And God wants to fill us with joy. He wants to bless us. He wants to experience the deep joy that the world cannot give. Not produced or affected by emotions or changing circumstances, but a kind of blessedness, a kind of joy, a kind of bliss, a kind of happiness that is not subject to things that are outside of us because it's something that God gives us within. It's a gift that has to be received. And this should be the character of every Christian, every believer, every disciple, blessedness and joy. So before we look at our text today, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Our text is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles on the back tables there. Um, and feel, Please feel free to take one. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible for their own. No one should be without one, and so they're free to take. And if you have a friend that you know would like one, invite you to take them as well and give them to them. So Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says... Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they also persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the beginning to the sermon that Jesus gives. Now, uh, the Sermon on the Mount runs through Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's also recorded in some of the other Gospels in a little, little different format. But he starts this section with what is called we call the Beatitudes. These statements that say, blessed are those who... and some of the depictions that we see about how we, we picture this scene. There's a couple of slides I want to show you. This is one of your standard ones, you know, Jesus sitting there. It's always interesting. When you show pictures, when we get pictures for little kids, Jesus is always smiling. But, and Jesus would have been about 30. Why does everyone here look like they're 80? Um, I don't know. So the next one is a little more peaceful and nice and... I don't know, it doesn't do anything for me. When I think of Jesus, this is more the way I would have seen him, like that, smiling and with kids a lot. I'm not sure if he really liked being with the disciples that much because you always say he, he liked being around kids. Well, this may be another depiction. Um, 
This is a depiction many of you may have seen in a movie. This is from Monty Python's Life of Brian. And these were the disciples. They're sort of in the back and they can't remember if Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers or blessed are the cheesemakers. And so there's this big debate as to whether it's literal or is it anyone in the dairy industry. So Today we're going to look at the first beatitude, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the question is, how do we enter into the kingdom of God? How do we become part of Christ's kingdom? How do we get saved? How do we receive this blessed life? And the Beatitudes indicate to us what is opposite of what the world thinks. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, and the world says, blessed are the rich. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. The world says, blessed are those who laugh. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. The world says, blessed are those who are proud and confident. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the world says, blessed are those who don't need anything from anyone. And we get shaped by our world. Even those of us who are in the kingdom of God, those of us who are saved, our attitudes get shaped by the media. Newspapers, books, magazines, television, radio, movies, you name it. They are promoting a view of what a truly blessed and happy life is that is contradictory to what the Bible says. It's contradictory to what Jesus said. And in Jesus' day, they had a similar problem. That makes what Jesus said so radical. See, there were people in Israel who, and even for the disciples, who were believing that to have a truly blessed life, you needed to obey the law. And if you obeyed the law and you did all this, then you would gain entrance into the kingdom of God and you would have a blessed life. And Jesus had to clear away all the lies and the errors of this way of thinking and to get back to how to have a truly blessed life. And entering into the kingdom of God comes by believing in Jesus. But there are many obstacles that keep us from believing in Jesus. And the first thing we need to do is realize that we are poor in spirit. Jesus said, you will be blessed if you do this, you'll be blessed if you do that, or blessed are those who, and blessed are those who. And what he's talking about is, this is how you get entrance into the kingdom of God, but when you're in the kingdom of God, you will be blessed. It's one and the same. And so Jesus is not only teaching about how to have a blessed life, he's teaching about how to enter his kingdom, and what life is like in the kingdom. And we are blessed by God. But blessings are not something we earn. They're something we receive. Not something we earn. They're something we receive. And we need to remember this over and over and over again. It would be good for us to have this beatitude printed on the walls of the church that we remember it's not just a one-time thing to bless the poor in spirit once and then you become proud in spirit after you've served in the church a long time. No, it's something each and every day to remember you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. The Apostle Paul talked about this later on in the book of Ephesians. He wrote a letter to the Christians in the church in Ephesus and he wrote these words 
in verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you feel blessed today? This is what Paul says. Verse 13, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are, in God, who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God has blessed us. But it's not because of anything we have done. It's something that has to be received. So you go to chapter 2, and this is what Paul said. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its evil desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast." And what the Apostle Paul is saying there is, and the Apostle Paul was the most righteous Pharisee in his day. He had done, followed all these rules and regulations to the letter of the law. But when he encountered Jesus, he realized that that was nothing. Because he was trusting in his own religiosity. He was trusting in his own actions to get him into the kingdom. And it's never enough. And until he gave up that, he couldn't receive the blessing from God, which is Jesus Christ. And so the first step to entering the kingdom, the first step to the blessed life, is to understand that we are poor in spirit, meaning we are bankrupt in spirit. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything good, but what it means is we have nothing that can allow us to earn our own salvation. We are poor in spirit. And the time that you understand you're poor in spirit, that is the gateway into the kingdom of God and the blessed life. And this is a is tremendously important point because being poor in spirit takes our eyes off ourselves and puts them all on God. It's not about us, it's all about Jesus. And that's the way it's always supposed to be. Not just though at the beginning of our Christian life, the whole of our Christian life through, it's all about Jesus. And so think about this, why does Jesus begin with this? This is the first recorded sermon that Jesus gives. 
This is how Jesus inaugurated his unfolding teaching throughout the New Testament. And it begins with that statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because it's the fundamental characteristic of the Christian life. To know that we can't save ourselves, nothing we can do can save ourselves, nothing we can do can merit or earn God's grace. It is just something that we have to receive as a gift from God. And all other characteristics flow from this one. This is where everything starts. This is where the blessed life begins. It begins when you realize you're poor in spirit. And that's when we start receiving the blessings of God. Jesus is saying, there is this mountain that you have to climb to get to God, but you can't do it. There is no way you can do it. No matter how hard you try, you are not going to get there. And once you understand that you can't do it on your own, that's when you're ready to be blessed and allow me to do it for you. Now this was very important for the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day because they put their hope in their own religion, their own efforts. They, had, they were very proud of their ceremonial accomplishments. They were very proud that they had the temple. They were very proud of the law. They were very proud that they kept the Sabbath. They were very proud of their identification with the covenant people of Israel. They were self-confident. But Jesus says, if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, you need to recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt and can't do it on your own. This is where it all begins. And poverty in spirit is the foundation for all the other graces. And it's foundational for us to understand and receive the blessings that God wants to give us. Nothing happens until this happens. And as long as a person is not poor in spirit, they're incapable of receiving God's grace. As long as I'm clutching on to my own self-importance and my own accomplishments, my own strivings, my own religiosity, as long as I'm holding on to those things, I can't receive what God's trying to give me. It's like I'm holding on to dirt and God's wanting to put gold in my hand. Until you let go of those things, you can't receive what God's willing to give you. Until you realize you're poor, you can never become rich. Rich with the blessings that God wants to give us. And until, someone, until we're poor in spirit, Christ is never seen for what he truly is. He's never that precious. But once we realize how bankrupt we are, we realize how precious Jesus is and his love for us. Until you're poor, you can't be rich. Rich with the blessing God wants to give us. And so why does Jesus begin with blessed are the poor in spirit? Because inevitably what prevents people from entering the kingdom of God is pride. Pride. Let me give you five barriers that keep people from being poor in spirit. The first one is pride. Pride is Basically, competition. It's not that you have something, it's that you have more than someone else. A proud person, if you ask a proud person how much money is enough, they say one dollar more. 
And it's just always more. So pride is competition, but when it's competition with God, the problem is we're competing with God. And as long as we think we can do it ourselves, we can't receive the gift that God has to offer us. And so pride is the number one barrier that keeps us from realizing we're poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit is antithetical to pride. The second thing is perfectionism. Perfectionism. We like to be perfect. Why is it so hard for us to admit when we are wrong? Um, I hassle a couple people here by mispronouncing certain words because they always like to correct me. But think of it, why do we like to correct people when they say something wrong? So I will say, oh, I was on Picos Road the other day. They, oh, no, Pecos. It's like, yeah, Picos. And I'm like, and they correct me. I'm like, why do you feel you need to correct me? So then, because I know they like to do it, I said, oh, yeah, I saw that big squaro cactus. Of course, they're like dying to correct me. At the men's retreat, we were up by the... Uh, Mongolian Pass. And they're like, of course, you know what everyone's saying. Like, Paul, it's a, go ahead, say it. Oh, yeah. See, now you did, why do you, yeah, we always feel you have, why do we feel we have to correct people? Because we have to be perfect. But perfectionism keeps us from being poor in spirit. The next one is perseverance. Now, that may seem a little strange to you, but let me explain what I mean by that. Um, we, perseverance is a good quality, but when I was a little kid, I had a book. It was The Little Engine That Could. Did any of you read The Little Engine That Could? Okay, the little line when the little engine that could, the engine goes, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And if the engine says, I think I can enough, he can do it, Right? Right? You read the book? Do you guys not remember this book? Oh my goodness. Okay, so you, tr- you take that type of thinking into the Christian life. No matter how much you say, I think I can, you can't. And thinking you can and just trying hard enough, it's the American thing. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. But once you realize you can't, then you can. Because that's when you're able to receive what God wants to give us. The next thing is people. People are often barriers. Why? Um, Because we're all broken, but we don't admit we're all broken. Even though we all know we're all broken, it goes back to that perfectionism thing. So often people, we are barriers that keep us from admitting we're poor in spirit. And then the last one is performance. Performance. We want to perform in order to be accepted. But here, listen to this. The only performance that ever mattered is the performance of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And because of his performance, we don't have to perform anymore. We just have to receive what he did for us. And because of what Jesus Christ did for us, His love, his sacrifice on the cross, his dying for our sins and his resurrection. When we admit we can't do this, but we just need to accept that, that is the entrance into the kingdom of God. So here's a little test to see if you 
understand how poor you are in spirit. And it's this, the poor in spirit are not judgmental of others. The poor in spirit are not judgmental of others. Those who are proud in spirit judge. Those who are poor in spirit love. Those who are proud in spirit judge. Those who are poor in spirit love. And if you know that you're poor in spirit, all you need to do is call out to Jesus and say, I have nothing, Lord. I need your help. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And God will show you his mercy. He always does. And he's waiting there. Once you can just admit, I'm poor in spirit. That's the first step into the blessed life. And God wants to pour out blessings in your life in ways that you could never, never imagine. And if you have never gotten to this point in your life where you've admitted to God, hey, I am broken, I can't do this on my own, there is no better time than today than to just say that to God. It's a simple prayer, it's just a call out to God saying, Lord, I'm broken, I am a sinner, be merciful to me. And God will pour out so much blessing into your life. Not only the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of life eternal, but a blessed life here and now. Who are the truly blessed in our world? It's right there in the scriptures. And it starts with being blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you feel blessed today? Do you feel blessed because you have a car? Do you feel blessed because you have clothes? Do you feel blessed because of a good job? That's not what it says. It says you're blessed when you realize you're poor in spirit. But we always have to be on our guard of not falling back into becoming proud in who we are in Christ. We become proud of our religiosity. We become proud of the things we do as Christians. It starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no better time than today. And I would encourage you to talk to me as soon as possible after the service. I'd love to show you from the scriptures how you can know for certain the promises of God. And there will be people up here at the front. We have a prayer team. And if you'd like to come up after the service, they'd love to pray with you to let you know how to enter into the kingdom of God. And to know that God's blessings are for you. It's nothing you can do. It's something you receive. There's no better time than today. Jesus is the one who's calling us to himself. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know of your love for us. To know that you are a God of grace and a God of mercy. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your patience with us when we think more of ourselves than we ought. And thank you, Heavenly Father, that you show us your mercy and grace each and every day. And that you've given us the Holy Scriptures that we can know the way to true happiness and true blessedness is through a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I would ask that you would Help us to be able to discern 
your truth in a world that is just pushing lies and deceptions on us as to what is really important in life and we'll cling to what Jesus taught us. And in doing this, we will bring honor and glory to you. So we ask for your blessing now. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.